0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. On the day I'm recording this, it's still June, which means it's still Pride Month. And this year, 2023, Pride is happening in the context of hundreds of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills being put forth in legislative arenas. This context makes today's conversation with Jamie Thrower, founder of the Queer Grief Club, feel even more vital. Jamie is a queer death doula, end-of-life educator, and grief guide here in Portland, Oregon. Jamie is dedicated to creating queer-specific spaces for end-of-life care and grief support. Jamie also knows from her personal experience of grieving the deaths of both of her parents and then her daughter, Birdie, who she and her wife lost in the second trimester, just how important it is for grief support offerings to reflect your identity, your relationships, your family constellations, and your community. Without this, grief support can be, as Jamie writes, disheartening at best, but more often than not, it is a harmful and painful reminder of our continued erasure and discrimination because of our LGBTQ identities. While Jamie and I started out with the plan to talk about the work she's doing to create these affirming grief support offerings, we eventually got there, but we also took a side trip down the rabbit hole of why grocery shopping can be so dang terrible when you're grieving and how in an ideal world, there would be a specific checkout line for people who don't want to or don't know how to answer the casual, hey, how's your day going question without going into their entire grief story. Jamie is kind and funny and super committed to changing the landscape of traditional grief support. Through the Queer Grief Club, she's creating more inclusive spaces for queer and trans people that not only honor those aspects of their identities, but also provide alternative ways to engage with grief beyond just sitting and talking about it. Jamie, welcome to Grief Out Loud. Thank you for making time to be part of the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Which of the losses that you've experienced in your life feel important to kind of bring into the room today together?
1: Yeah, you know, well, we are coming up on Father's Day, and that's one that's pretty significant um, in my life. But something that I've been thinking about a lot, you know, there's these concrete losses of my parents and our baby. But the bigger grief experience of my queer community is something that I'm like really feeling deeply right now to kind of watch the world uh, continue to turn its back on our community is, it's disheartening at best and I, and really harmful at its worst and I feel protective of my community. I feel that grief and that sadness. And there's something about that within, especially being Pride Month, a lot of us are really feeling it. So that's something that I've been um, talking about a lot with people and just, you know, our losses, our our physical, tangible losses are really important. and Our death losses are really important. And there's this bigger non-tangible loss and grief and destruction that we're watching every day. And to have to kind of bear witness to that as a community and also find our resiliency in that is, is a really tough challenge to do day after day.
0: Yeah. And in and thinking about the enormity of that, it's not even a type of, it's types of non-death losses that the queer community your community my community are experiencing right now or forecasting to be experiencing is how I think about it a lot of times too like what's coming yeah um is there a way in which your like lived experience with death loss of the death of your parents and the death of your baby plays into the ways that you're able to either conceive of these non-death losses or interact with people around them
1: Yeah, you know, I've I've in my own examining of my losses, especially of my parents, it's been almost 15 years since my dad died and almost eight since my mom died. Really examining kind of the those secondary losses that are a part of that, like all the other losses um, and types of grief that are associated with death losses but you don't necessarily always think about that because and and society certainly doesn't think about that either you know in my own examination and being able to say like you know there's a part of my grief that is that's tied to my queerness and not ever being able to come out to my dad like what a that's something that's an experience that I'll never get to have or, you know, in thinking about how difficult it is for me to be a young person really with no parents, but there are so many people within my community that are young people that don't have parents, but their parents are still living. And so, you know, the complexities and kind of continuing to explore and see the kind of expansion that if you really lean into grief and talk about it and start to see all the ways that it's not just fully death related, it's really in response to big change, then it really helps me start to, you know, find ways of working with other folks or or just in talking to other people and seeing those kind of lines of connection in where all of our grief you know, intersects or the, the common threads and then the things that are different and kind of being able to make space for all of that, because, you know, all of my losses have been so different and have elicited different grief responses, too. So, you know, I've gotten to see so many different ways that I've shown up in my grief for myself that I can kind of see that in other people, too
0: in a sense, in a weird, darkly humored sense, you're like the perfect person to be doing the work <laughs> you're doing, right? Because you're like, I see that, yeah. I see that, I see that. Oh, I see that too, because I have experienced this as well. Yes, 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 I know. It's,
1: uh, it's one of those things where I wish I could sometimes walk around with a list or a resume of all the lost experiences and just say, this is why I'm like this. It, for for better for worse, really.
0: <laughs> it, you know, with with talking about the the losses that your community is experiencing, the queer community is experiencing, kind of being the most present right now, or feeling like the most important to talk about. What I don't know the right word for this, but like, what's the general tone? of the conversations that you're having you know because i think about grief having so many different emotions right there can be sadness regret despair anger rage disappointment like what's the kind of temperature gauge that you're running into right now honestly defeated sheer
1: exhaustion you know that wanting to try and find hope in this and also just being so tired of the grief and so tired of seeing the same things kind of continue. And, and that, you know, that grief experience when you kind of just want to scream at the whole world, like, how can you not, like, how are you ignoring this? Like, how can you not see that I'm hurting right now? Or this is devastating to me. It's a, it's almost a strange parallel of um, watching, you know, all these horrible things happen to our community at the same time that like it's pride month and everyone's supposed to be celebrating us and it ends up feeling really inauthentic. And so I've just found that like, yeah, it's almost a defeatist, but not, but just like an exhaustion and and kind of like deeper sadness that's the tone of all of this but a lot of the times also when i'm like talking within you know either my friends or or larger communities of people it feels so much easier to manage when we're with each other and when we're able to like share you know all of these kind of different feelings that come along with the queer experience the grief experience and being able to kind of have that like solidarity and community in that has felt really healing and so it's kind of that you know the the strange feeling of that comfort or it's almost like nice to be in that space and talking about these really hard and painful things but it, you come out of it feeling more connected to people um and and a little, you know, given a tiny bit more to fill up your tank so you can keep going. So it's, you know, it's a, it's really a, a large spectrum, I guess, of, of feelings, of course. Yeah. I would say it's like this, it's a deep love and it's also deep sadness and deep tiredness.
0: I'm feeling that tiredness today. <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. It is exact no one talks about how exhausting grief is day after day and we you know we expect all of us to keep going to get back to work to be productive and that's not how grief operates. Like grief doesn't is not made for our capitalist society. You know, like we, in order to like give grief the attention that it needs it, you know, you need to go slow. You need to be present. You need to allow yourself days to fall apart and time to just readjust to the world. And we don't give ourselves enough time to even figure out what we are feeling most of the time. And so we're just trying to get from one thing to the next and survive. And then we're, and then we all struggle in our grief and struggle to identify what we're even feeling because we're not given the time and the space to just let that kind of unfold.
0: As you were talking earlier, I kept having this idea or this image come to me of, you know, when someone in our life dies or when there's some other, loss that we experience that other people aren't experiencing. It's almost like we hear a sound that no one can hear, or we see a color that no one else can see. And then when we find other people who can hear that same sound or see that same color, it doesn't take the pain of the grief away. But it is so validating to be like, I am not the only one seeing this color and hearing the sound that the whole world appears to not see or hear.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that that's That's what's missing so much from grief support and from just the way that we talk about grief is that by kind of keeping ourselves in this very, you know, this is a individual process and you should, you know, not grieve in public and the amount of times that people apologize for crying, you know, like all of these human emotions that we have and we're all conditioned to deal with them internally deal with them privately but you know then you end up feeling like you're walking on a different energy plane than everybody else or you're in a totally different world and so it feels surreal and strange and you know to be walking around carrying these heavy losses especially in that new brand new loss and to walk into a grocery store and see people shopping for groceries and being like, they have no idea that my mom just died and they're gonna ask me how I'm doing and I don't know how to answer. Then I'm gonna go cry in my car and I think I'm the only person in the world who does that because no one else is saying like, I do that too. Oh my gosh, why is the grocery store like somehow the worst place in grief? I don't know cuz it's like one of the most basic things that everyone has to kind of do and you just it's a routine thing but now your routine has changed and so you're having to kind of refigure out that that new world and that new lens that you're looking through the world in but finding those people finding you know what I I've called like grief buddies who can really validate and normalize the grief experience, which is generally very confusing and scary and intense and filled with a lot of conflicting feelings to have, to be able to share that and then have that echoed from someone else of like, yeah, I get that. I've felt that way too. Or like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that you would feel that way. And you're not the, you know, you're not the only person. It's so, wonderful because there are these little nuances of grief that you just wouldn't get until
0: you get it you know now you've got me thinking about the grocery store and why is it such a like uh (laughs) full of grief potholes and I'm thinking about like there's different things that we do throughout our day but food is one of the few things that you're almost guaranteed to have some type of memory associated with a person in your life who has died. Not everybody, but almost everybody has had some kind of food memory. Also, it's like, is it the grocery store or is it the frequency with which we have to go to the grocery store? Because you might think Mm -hmm. if I had to go to, I don't know, the kayak rental store twice a week, I might think kayak rental stores really spark my grief a lot. But yeah, I'm not going yeah. there twice a week usually, but I'm going to that grocery store two, three, sometimes if it's me, six times a week. And I'm just there a lot. And you're interacting yeah. with people in a weird way. you got to like navigate space and there's people in your space. And I, yeah, I'm just I got a lot more to think about around the grocery store and grief. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For It's such a it's such a real thing. And when someone unlocks that in another person, it's really you know, I think it's, it's really sweet to just to see how many people are like, yeah, yeah, the groceries, I hate the grocery (laughs) store sometimes. And I used to love it. Or like, now when I go, I feel like I just have to like, really put on such a, you know, turn my grief off in so many ways, in order to interact with all these other humans who's, Worlds are just spinning on and mine has like completely stopped. And when I leave this store, I go home and look at my altar with all the people that I've lost or like I'm grappling with. And no one knows that, you know, by just these these very normal exchanges of like, oh, how's your day going? Oh, this is a cool tomato, you know, like as you're (laughs) going out of the grocery store checking out. It's such a strange experience having to participate in the world in which your person doesn't exist anymore, repeatedly, kind of over and over again, is is a startling reality and and really difficult for so many people. But if no one talks about that, then everyone just ends up feeling alone and ashamed when they're also crying in their car in (laughs) the parking lot of New Seasons. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm now imagining
0: we need to start some sort of trend where there's like, uh, I mean, most of us, well, not all of us, but I know for me, if I'm having a hard day, I love self-checkout, right? Because I don't have to talk to anybody. But if you did have an aisle, like a checkout line that was grief line, you know, where people have been yeah. trained in how to talk or not talk or whatever that might be that you could even put a little yes. button on when you come in the store that says like grieving, please don't ask me how I am or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean actually I did I did create these little buttons for people that say please be gentle and kind, you know, grief in process because you when we're faced with the world and the world that wants us to be, you know, polite and kind and happy and not like when when you're getting that kind of interaction of like, oh, how's your day going? They're not necessarily, that's like a formality and it's a thing that we've just grown accustomed to doing. And so no one's really like prepared to see that or hold that real answer. And also people aren't looking for these more like subtle cues of, oh, this person like looks like they really don't want to engage in a conversation I'm going to just let them be, or, you know, you feel like you're walking around with a sign on your forehead, but no one can see it. And that's, what's the hardest part about grief is you're just like, I feel like it's written all over me, but it's, but no one else can see that. And so now I really do want to just like wear a t-shirt or something that says, please don't talk to me right now. I'm grieving and I just need to get my few things and get out of here. You know, I just think if we were able to really start making more space for people's humanity, I, you know, we could all
0: really benefit from that. (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also realizing we, we didn't, Plan to have such a deep conversation about grocery stores and grief, although I think it's very helpful. And so I want to give some space for what we were going to talk about, which is the work that you do in this world that you bring your lived experience of both of your parents and your baby's death kind of into what you do. Yeah, do you want to just talk a little bit about kind of like, what is the way like your professional role in this realm?
1: So I really want to make grief support and the way that we talk about grief and interact with grief a lot more approachable and normalized. And I think something that was striking to me, that's always been striking to me always, is this notion of having to rejoin the world before you're ready to and being a grieving person and not really knowing how to find community and wanting to find other people who have shared losses, but not necessarily wanting to exactly go to you know, a specific grief support group, which like those are really helpful and important and amazing. And also sometimes you're not ready to share, or you just want to engage in or do something and know that your grief is going to be acknowledged or, or you, you are going to go and have this experience and everybody else there is going to know deep loss. So it feels safer, you know, to kind of just be and show up as you are. And so, in losing my parents and losing our daughter and, and all the other miscarriages that we kind of experienced, I really started to see all the ways that also like my queer identity became such a central theme in kind of my grief experience. And so that's kind of where queer grief club started, which was really just me kind of wanting to share my experience and share, you know, other queer people's experience of grief But then wanting to also like foster a more sense of community. And that's the thing that's been really beautiful to watch is these friendships and bigger community around wanting to talk about grief or wanting to connect in some way or acknowledge that grief or even just to go somewhere where you know that like it's not going to rattle someone's world when they ask you where do your parents live? Are they still together? And you have to be like, well, they're buried together. So yes. And, and that can like take it. I mean, that literal example happened to me and it, at a dinner party and it took a, and it just like shut the whole conversation down, you know? And I, I immediately felt ashamed and was like, maybe I should have just answered differently. And, And, you know, masked in that way. But when I could show up to a place and these people already knew that I had losses of some sort, then I didn't feel as intimidated to be able to talk about them. I love the idea of being able to have these supportive meetups, but that are also, you know, activity based because oftentimes, conversations can feel hard to just do. People have a hard, especially, you know, in the pandemic, we've all been isolated. We've had a, we're all starting to kind of figure out how to negotiate the world now. And then also just wanting more spaces, more queer spaces to kind of come together and figure out how to support each other, how to rejoin this world how to still do things that, you know, are tactile and, and can help us process our grief, or maybe it doesn't, but we get to do something nice and meet some other people who know grief. And I think that that's, you know, to be able to integrate it into life and show people that we can still go and, And do this movement class or we can uh, do an art project or or just all kind of hang out together. And it doesn't the entire experience doesn't have to revolve around our loss, but that there's always space for it. And those genuine conversations and connections inevitably happen because there's no pressure to kind of share. People are just really, you know, they're engaged. They're using their bodies or their minds to kind of think about something differently or to do something creative and and it just unlocks this kind of freedom I guess or permission to kind of just share and and show up as you are which is I think really it's really sweet and and needed no more spaces like that
0: so you mentioned movement class and art project? Is there, could you give another example of like a queer grief club offering? And and I'm also thinking about like, how do you set it up for folks? Like, is it just totally free form? Is there a little bit of structure? So, I mean, everyone knows they're coming to queer grief clubs. So obviously they know there's grief involved,
1: <laughs> but just yeah, wondering yeah. if there's
0: any like format or structure that you do.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it really kind of changes depending on what uh, the offering is. Like I did a, you know, something that's been really important to me in my grief process that's helped me so much is gardening and having a connection to a garden, creating a memorial garden, um, creating what I call my grief garden, which is, you know, it being able to kind of dig in the dirt and watch the real life systems um, and cycle of life continue to humble me. So I, a grief garden seed and plant exchange, and that was just kind of an open-ended thing where people could come by anytime if they wanted to kind of share seeds and plants, or if they wanted to receive some from other people. And some people came and just stopped by for, you know, a couple minutes and then, and then moved on and other people just stayed in the park and hung out and talked and, and shared and that was really sweet and then there are some more structured offerings that are you know like we're here to do this art project or to you know all do a craft together we'll we'll just open up that space for if anyone wants to talk about their experience or their grief or you know and those kind of little conversations start to happen so it's like a it's a gently organized (laughs) experiences because I want people to also really feel like they have power and agency in how they want to show up and you know while also protecting the space so that it feels like a cohesive kind of unit Um, so I like to kind of have experiences that are that are all kind of over the board so people can really pick and choose what would feel good to them. It's just like a bigger community conversation online that they can like be a part of, but not have to share anything, but just listen to the experiences of other queer people. That might be really great for someone who's like not necessarily ready to go do a garden volunteer day at a farm or, or go sit and do an art project for two hours. So having that kind of variety is important for me too. So people can really feel like they can engage in their grief in a lot of different ways and that there's no one right way to do it.
0: Yeah. Like really widening out the accessibility of grief, uh grief, offering so that it's not just come to like the traditional support groups that we provide at dougie center where it's very like here's what we do and we're talking now and it's your turn to talk if you want to this feels i love the the term you used of like gently structured so that there's places for people to you know step into it or be a part of it in a way that feels less um formally unveiling, I guess, is the terminology Mm -hmm. that's coming to me now. And, you know, I feel like we've made a great case for like, how important community is when we're grieving to break down some of that isolation and to increase that sense of validation. What is it about queer specific spaces and grief that is so important?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, there's Uh, so many grief experiences that are unique to the queer community that are generally ignored or not talked about in the kind of bigger grief spaces. And I think that as people who are generally forgotten about or traditionally left out of bigger experiences that we are always like kind of seeing ourselves being erased in that way. And so when you're going to, I find the grief in the cultural way that we talk about it is very black and white. It's very binary. It's grief is crying and sad and you don't know how to do anything. And then you're happy and you're better and you're over it and you've moved on And, you know, it's so much, there's so much more to that. And then there's also, you know, there's these hierarchies of relationships and kind of what deserves grief support. So someone who has been with a partner for 15 years, but never got married, like what's the word for that when they lose their partner? Like if they show up to a widow group, will they be accepted will their relationship be accepted will they feel safe to share what they're actually feeling there's so many relationships that are are defined or redefined really um, within our community and so our concept of family and chosen family and the way we express ourselves is so different and doesn't always fit into those kind of traditional grief, support models and i really watched that you know and experienced that firsthand of being like i don't know where to get support right now um because i don't feel like i fit into any of these support groups when i go into a support group am i going to be the only queer person there am i going to have to explain things about myself or my relationship or You know, I have friends who are like, I don't want to go to a grief group and have to like get misgendered the whole time. Like that's, that doesn't feel supportive. That makes, it adds another layer of stress. And so I think, yeah, making room for queer experiences and, you know, not just saying, oh, we, we welcome everybody. We're inclusive. You're welcome to come you know, some people do change their language and that's really helpful. And some people don't, but they're just like, well, of course you can come to this dad's group for pregnancy loss. And I'm like, okay, but that to me, I'm not a dad. So that's not going to feel super reflective of my experience. And I don't want to have to try and fit into this box of yours. I just want it to be open-ended so that I can feel like my relationship is part of that already or could be part of that. Not just like this. Oh, sure. You can like jump in this group, I guess. Yeah. So having queer specific spaces that are for queer people by queer people is I think just so important for allowing ourselves to really feel seen and held in that whole, you know, in our whole grief experience, which is really holds so much power in the intersection of, you know, queerness and grief.
0: You know, Jamie, I hadn't really thought about it until you just were talking about it where, you know, I sit in this place of running a young adult support group, right, in Portland, Oregon. So we are inherently, we're not a queer specific space, but I would say we have a variety of people coming in in the way that I feel like there's not as much explaining that has to happen, given the context of where we are. And I was also thinking that pregnancy loss, child loss, parenting support group land, I'm like, I can't think of anything more heteronormative for lack of a better way to describe it, right? Because there's so much of like, parents must mean this and this. And so you're talking about like, there's a dad's group and a mom's group. And like, where do I go? that situation so i wondered if you could share just a little bit more about your experience of trying to access support for the grief uh after your daughter died
1: yeah you know it was it was such a an experience that i kind of didn't i didn't think about um the struggle that it would be, uh, in, you know, in my shock and, and heartache of when we lost our daughter at 17 weeks. Um, and so I just assumed somehow that there would be, you know, queer people have to go through enormous lengths to have babies, you know, or to expand their family in some, in some way. And so I was like, there has to be, there has to be some support for queer people out there. And then I'm quickly reminded because even in just the whole fertility world, it's like, there's not, it is, it feels still like an anomaly that my wife and I were able to kind of go on a fertility journey because everything is so um, gendered and very specific of like, we need, you need to go through a a counseling session before so that you can get approved for IVF. Well, what we know that we have no problem dealing with our, you know, we know that we have to use a donor. That's, it's fine. Like, and that was really what it was all about. And so, and, you know, having to cross my name off of, you know, father or dad or whatever that was. And so, In baby loss, which is like a huge subject of disenfranchised grief, it's a huge thing that people do not want to talk about, do not want to recognize, do not want to, you know, even really acknowledge that it's such a significant loss, that it's so heartbreaking, but then especially don't want (laughs) to acknowledge that it's difficult for the partners too. And so, you know, I feel bad because we're, the pregnancy loss world is so gendered and so heteronormative and it really shows that there's no, also no space for men and there's no space for, you know, for dads or for husbands to, and partners in that way to be, um, to, to struggle with losing a child in that way. And so my wife could find, some of the pregnancy loss and different things like could find them supportive, even though they were heteronormative in in many ways, but you know, those themes that, that she could connect to and a lot of the experiences about it happening to her body. And so, but for me, like, if I show up to a pregnancy loss group, they're going to look at me in the way that I present my gender and they're going to assume that, pregnancy loss happened in my body. And if they find out that I didn't like, am I not supposed to be there because it's not open to quote unquote husbands or sometimes there's support groups where it says husbands can join, but like that in almost like initiates a hierarchy of grief of like the grief of the person who is carrying the baby is enormous. And everybody else is kind of secondary to that when like really, if we just can acknowledge the differences in those griefs, but not making one more significant than the other, and also making space for the fact that fertility is so difficult for queer people. So when we have losses in that way, whether it's You know, miscarriage or pregnancy loss or stillbirth or having or infertility, there's a different layer to it all. And being able to make space for that um, or have that validated is so incredible. And so I ended up having to find kind of people on my own, other like kind of connecting through really like the internet of finding somebody else who was a non gestational parent and lost a baby and started to kind of find those little people like you said like oh you can see that color too like we yes you have this experience too that's so helpful and also like uh, it still amazes me that there's not more space for that but anything that has to do with pregnancy and fertility is so slow to in to be in inclusive of queer people that is one piece that people really really struggle with of making making space for queer experiences in that
0: I feel like there's so many different directions we could go in in this moment because we've talked about (laughs) so many different pieces but I want I want to just come back to queer grief club since that's like this offering that you have created in order to alleviate the absences of grief support that are queer specific, where people are not having to take additional steps just to have the people who are in the room with them, whatever that room looks like, understand where they're coming from. So for listeners who are like, oh, I want this in my community, or can I do this? Like, can you just give kind of the logistics of where, where you're offering these things now and how people can get connected?
1: Yeah, um, so I'm generally offering in-person kind of activities and meetups in Portland, Oregon, but looking to kind of expand into some more virtual options so that people from all over could join for either a community conversation or something you know, that could be done via webinar or Zoom because really what this is about for me is that community and also for people to feel empowered to show up somewhere with their grief and not having to hide it. And so I want people to have access to this kind of support and I want more, I want it to inspire more queer-specific grief groups or activity-based meetups or um or maybe get someone, you know, if this sparks the idea that somebody else could start a queer grief group, great, you know, we need more more spaces for that. We need more people who are willing to kind of hold that space. And so yeah, I encourage people to kind of stay stay in touch via Instagram. I'm working on a newsletter so I can reach people off of social media because you know social media is a is a challenging relationship for a lot of us. And yeah, just working, I'm really working on trying to expand my programming in a way that feels really authentic and also involves a lot of other community members. So I was just put a call out the other day for anyone who's wanting to collaborate or to co-facilitate something. And the responses that I got were amazing. And so I'm so excited for all the different ways that other people can kind of contribute to this too, because I don't want to ever feel like an ownership or, you know, that's the whole point is that this is community- base that there's we are all experts in our own grief and we are all just here to be a community together and there's not that kind of hierarchy and this is the expert person and has all the answers and this is and you guys are all trying to learn that we all have so much to give each other and so I I'm excited to see where all these collaborations go and and all the different ways we can like incorporate grief into everyday activities or creative activities, or just, you know, communal meals, all, all kinds of different things that there's so many ways that this could go. And so I love watching that spark in other people start to go, Oh, I wonder if I did a grief thing during this summer camp that I'm going to like when people feel that empowerment to talk about grief or to um, or see the response of like, oh, there's a lot of people who are saying, yes, I would I would love this to be in my city and like so well received that I hope that it kind of empowers people to feel like they can do that and they can incorporate their grief and they could talk about their grief and they can open up spaces for grief and that it's going to be needed and it's always needed. And people are always grateful for that, even if it's just one person who shows up that connection is so important and can make such a difference.
0: Yeah, I'm really loving this idea of like decentralizing. I don't know why that's the word that's coming to me with this idea of it kind of like spreading out and people feeling like they have the agency to be like, yeah, I'm doing this, you know, summer camp. And we're going to have arts and crafts. And then we're going to have like photo memorabilia sharing of the people in our lives who have died or honoring in some way of of the grief and the losses we've experienced in this last year. So, yeah, I'm feeling inspired, too, Jamie. Thank you for (laughs) sparking that.
1: (laughs) I think when people start to realize that, you know, that grief does have a place kind of everywhere or can have a place everywhere and that it doesn't it also doesn't have to take up the whole room that you can really like. Integrate grief and then also like go do this other fun thing and just like making space for so many different life experiences and emotions instead of just everyone's going to be here and we're all going to be in a good mood because we're at this class together. Yeah. I just, I, I love the idea of more people figuring out ways to, to acknowledge their and other people's grief just in regular everyday life.
0: Yeah, it brings me back to what you'd said earlier of of things in the grief world, sometimes feeling so gendered. And I was like, this is an interesting way to like break down the binary that happens even in our individual experiences with grief where we may have the expectation for ourselves or the expectation is put upon us of here is your two weeks, you do all the grief and then you turn off the switch and you get back to the business of living with brightness and resiliency, and this idea that it's it the oh, I mean you know and I know like the only way it works is for it to get completely interwoven and integrated, and that's how we can do that. So I appreciate that you're sort of like doing this on this larger scale, and it's really reflective of the reality of those individual grief experiences, you know. And and speaking of of your experience with grief, as we come kind of to the end of our conversation. I wanted to come back to that weird question that I was going to ask you. At least I think it's weird because, I don't know, I haven't had this conversation with anyone around this question, but just this curiosity of when you think about your grief, whether it's grief of your parents dying or grief of the loss of your daughter or the grief of the general like non-death losses that you are experiencing, what's grief saying to you lately?
1: Yeah. I love this question because – it really encourages you to, to think about grief as kind of this almost like a little partner beside you who's like giving you messages, no, whether you're not you can receive them. And so it really like makes me kind of tap into like, yeah, what is, what is my grief trying to tell me right now? And I really feel like my grief is trying to tell me to slow down and also that community is really needed like deeply and i've really been feeling um like i'm an introvert but i've been feeling the need to just be around people more to kind of like have that grief witnessed and to witness other people's grief um but also that like slowness i think when we're kind of going from our day to day moving so fast um the exhaustion, when the exhaustion hits, I'm like, oh, I'm so, so tired. But then when I think about it in terms of my grief, I'm like, my grief is telling me to slow down. And like, what can I do to slow down, to honor my grief, to just slow my thoughts or kind of notice and appreciate all these little things in my life that kind of, turn my brain in a different direction. So like get just being able to go and water my plants every day and notice what's changed and what's grown and what's started to die and all the different things like paying attention to those slowing down. Like that's what starts to make me feel more grounded and, and able to kind of keep rejoining life in all these different ways, because my grief is always moving and changing and shifting. But yeah, it's also kind of like, we need a group hug, we need a big group hug from community. So like, keep doing this, like keep having these more like expanding kind of what my little community of just friends and chosen family and family, like, how can I kind of expand that and and let more people in and how can I, you know, redefine some of my ideas around what community is and how community interacts and supports with each other. And so it feels like a weird, sweet time with my grief right now where it's like a little bit tender and, and also like, I feel like it's also telling me that it's proud of me because like, look at where we are and who would have thought that, you know, 15 years after one of the most devastating losses of my life, the first devastating loss, um, that I would be in the place that I am and being able to kind of really interact with my grief in this really different way, in this more curious and and gentle way than before.
0: Slowing down and engaging with community. I'm just going to be sitting with that for a bit. So Appreciating that so much, Jamie, and really appreciating your time today and for you know what you've created in the world with Queer Grief Club. um, Even though I know it's kind of hyper local to Portland right now, but knowing the work you're doing to bring it out to the larger world, so thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for your time today for having this conversation.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I just I'm a huge fan of the Dougie Center and and just know how important it is and really grateful to have this. I love talking about grief with other folks. Like it's these beautiful conversations always unfold. So thanks for having me.
0: And listeners out there, I will put everything in the show notes about how to connect with Jamie and with the Queer Grief Club on social media and soon to be in newsletter format if you would like to get off of social media. So that will all be in the show notes. And just a big um, word of gratitude for all of you for tuning in, for listening to the show, for making it mean something. Um, If you want to reach out to me, you can email me directly at griefoutloud at dougie.org. It's d-o-u-g-y dot o-r-g. It's also our main website where you'll find information about our local programs programming all of our free downloadable resources and each and every episode of grief out loud always excited to share too that our podcast is sponsored in part by the chester stefan endowment fund thank you so much for listening we hope you'll join us again next time